Like you can't control what feelings come up. They just come up for all sorts of reasons. But to be like, okay, I, I just, I just want to know that I can, and then <laughs> I'm kind of good there. Like I feel so much more capable of monitoring. Like, what is it that I really want? Does this relationship and does my life reflect that? I was in a monogamous situation. I didn't want to be. You're not You're not treating men and women as equal. What's like? Why aren't you jealous with both? We have to control the border collie inside of us to <laughs> to hurt everyone in control. It's funny that you know the dogs people pick probably have a lot to do with uh, the same reason people pick partners. With <laughs> I just sort of flung myself into flirting with people of all genders and flung myself into partying and um, and things that helped me feel more wild. Like you're not going to solve your sexual identity by thinking about it. I'm pretty convinced. <laughs> I think you have to like let yourself feel. If you do want things to change, you can just have the conversation and it's not going to break the relationship. Right? We are just a lot more open with each other about our internal emotional lives than we were beforehand because it's not nearly as scary. Welcome to the Leverage Podcast, where we give you men's dating advice that doesn't suck. I'm your host, Robbie Kramer, a personal growth junkie and dating coach for over 15 years. Tune in each week to learn the latest and greatest strategies to get more dates, make yourself more attractive and confident with the opposite sex in order to meet your perfect 10 and design a lifestyle that makes all your buddies jealous. If you're a regular listener and digging our content, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you listen or watch this. But if you don't feel like it's worthy of five stars, just go ahead. Don't leave any review at all. That'd be great. If you're new to the show, I recommend you download our free dating protocol. It'll help you optimize your first date, second date, third dates, have more fun, and uh, get the results you want. I like to connect with my listeners personally, so if you want to grab that download and just say hi, send me a DM on Instagram. My handle is Robbie underscore Kramer. That's R-O-B-B-I-E underscore K-R-A-M-E-R. Before we dive into this week's content, I want to let you guys know we've opened up a few spots in our exclusive mastermind program called the Leverage Group. We're accepting applications if you want to join our select group of men and experience the radical power of accountability, stop procrastinating on your goals, cross everything off your sexual bucket list, and become a beast who gets more stuff done. To learn more and apply, go to innerconfidence.com slash leverage. So let's dive into the content. Today, we're going to have a discussion about open relationships. And I've coached a lot of men, and every single one of them, including myself, uh, experimented a ton with open relationships. There's a growth path that we we follow, which starts at involuntary celibacy, you know, incel, we've all heard that term, and that moves into forced monogamy, which is where a lot of guys kind of stop their growth. You know, um, a guy will stick with one woman because that's the way that they can kind of create sex on demand. But unfortunately, this typically leads to partners feeling obligated to sex, which kills desire and which also kills the relationship. And then you got the next stage in the journey of most men, kind of in, in that journey of transforming themselves into a man who's fundamentally attractive to women, who has the ability to have abundance of sex in his life. And if he wants variety and the experience necessary to learn about himself through dating and really kind of find out who he is and what he wants, he needs to be able to find people that are a good fit for him, um, find people that are open to, to kind of going through this test test phase you could say um and that's kind of where the term open relationships co comes from well 
doesn't come from. That's kind of where <laughs> that's kind of the beginning of this conversation. Um, and of course, the, the idea of open relationships can mean a ton of things to different people. Um, I think for the purpose of this conversation, I like to say it's kind of like simply being honest with multiple partners in lieu of cheating, which is what most guys do. They don't know how to have a conversation about opening up a relationship or they don't know how to ask for that. So they just kind of do the cheating thing instead. Um, and, you know, that cheating is and lying is really never a way to to grow. Um, and, you know, this process for me lasted over 10 years where I experimented with every sort of open relationship under the sun, including throuples. I attended sex parties. If it seemed fun, I tried it and I had a ton of fun. I learned a ton about myself and ultimately decided, which was a shock. I actually decided monogamy was the best choice for me um, when I did find my wife who will she was my dream girl and now she's my wife. So I, I was, you know, I, I never really knew really what I wanted, but I needed to experiment a ton with different relationship ideas to figure out what that was. And today we're going to hear about this journey from the female perspective, which I'm really excited about because you guys hear me rambling about it and I have a lot of male guests. So I'd like to welcome Emily Gindelsparger to the show, author of the best-selling book, Please Make Me Love Me. And Emily is a ghostwriter and book coach at Scribe Media, where she helps authors tackle the emotional journey of writing, tap into their wisdom of their experience, and share it with the world. She lives in Tucson, Arizona with her partner of 14 years and her border collie with uh, excellent boundaries that I, I love. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. First of all, welcome to Emily. Great to have you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, my dog What does a border uh... collie with excellent boundaries mean? <laughs> He has far better boundaries than I do. I'm such a people pleaser that if I don't, if I don't automatically jive with someone, I still try really hard to get them to like me. And he's just like, no, screw you. I, I no. <laughs> uh, he's he's that's, pretty that's defensive. That's so funny because I also have a. That, I I also have a border collie mix, a border collie German oh. Shepherd, and he has amazing boundaries too. And I'm the same. I'm a people pleaser to a fault. Um, my wife always gives me shit about that. Uh, but my dog Wiley, he has no problem, you know, saying, Nope, this is what's going <laughs> to, I'll bite mm -hmm. you. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyways, um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, tell us, tell us about, about your journey. Like what, what really, you know, had you dive into, wanting an open relationship and having this conversation with your partner um, and anything relevant about your story up until then, please share that as well. Yeah. The, before we actually opened our relationship, there was a span of several years of just theoretical conversations about it. And when we decided to open our relationship, we'd been together about eight years, I think. Um, and we were we were really great adventure partners. We were constantly road tripping and traveling together. And so we would always have like Savage Love podcasts queued up to listen to or Esther Perel. Um, all these podcasts about relationships and different different ways that people create those relationships and really individualize them. And so when we would hear a podcast you know, where somebody would call in and say, I'm struggling with this thing with my partner, we would usually stop and have theoretical discussions about like, what would it feel like if that was happening in our relationship? And that included things like, mm -hmm. what would an open relationship feel like? It also included things like, 
what do we think would happen if one of us cheated on the other? Like, how would we, how would we mend from something like that? What, how do we even conceive of what that would mean or feel like to us? And so, um, there was something really special about having these podcasts to trigger those conversations and have us basically talk about a bunch of stuff that's really hard to talk about once you're finally navigating it for real, right? Like we kind of needed lots of podcast right. conversations. So that the per- the first time that one of us brought up that we were attracted to a, a different person, it wasn't the first time that we were talking about attraction outside of our relationship period, right? And so, um, so those trips really helped us explore a lot of things in theory. I remember... I remember reading, you know, in the beginning of your book where he brought it up first, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This idea and that really kind of triggered you, the the idea of opening up the relationship and you went through this, you know, roller coaster of emotion around whether, you know, how he feels about you, are are you sort of less than, um, and it sounds like prior to that, like having listening to these podcasts and those sorts of things at least kind of got you prepared. So it wasn't like he just asked that out of the blue. Mm-mm. Although that is, it's a little unfair that I start the book with him saying like, there's this girl. That's literally the first line. Um, it is a little unfair because it's not like it came totally out of the blue like that. That's a little bit more, you know, writing for, for some drama and interest. Well, but, it's a better um, way to start the book. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get, just get straight to it. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you know, what was so Mm -hmm. interesting about the way that that unfolded was that we had had conversations about theoretical open relationships prior to that. And I thought that the way I was going to feel was like, yeah, let's experiment. I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm sexually open and like really excited and like, this is just play and fun and we're going to be together. So why wouldn't we, you know, explore our attractions and make sure we know what that looks like and feels like. I thought I would go into it with like the most accepting and positive attitude. But when the rubber actually hit the road and he asked for real, I had a completely different set of emotions than I anticipated. And I suddenly felt, you know, all the stereotypical things that a lot of people feel when they open their relationships. I felt jealousy and I felt tons of insecurity and sat with those big emotions for a while and was finally able, like within a week or so, I was able to try trace those big emotions back to, oh, this is actually a question of like, do I feel worthy to my partner? And do I, can I still feel worthy if I'm not the only person that my partner chooses? And I just really sat down and grappled with that and realized that, okay, I know that putting my sense of worth outside of myself onto my partner is not fair to either of us. So like that's something that I want to work on and uh, within myself. And if I can hold the right perspective, I think an open relationship is a good way to do that. And so uh, we decided to jump in and start dating. Um, can I ask what what how old were you guys when you had that initial conversation? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I'm going to remember this accurately, but I think I was around 28 and he was around 30, something like that. Okay. And prior to that, had you, what was sort of like your dating history? Did you have, um, you know, a lot of relationships? Did you have more like long, longer monogamous relationships? Had you experimented with, you know, like the idea in the, in the manosphere is kind of, they call it spinning plates 
right? Where you're dating <laughs> multiple people, sleeping with multiple people at the same time. Um, were, were you doing that or what, what was your experience like prior? It was mostly, uh, I was mostly kind of a serial monogamist, um, which mm -hmm. was not intentional at all, but I was, I was kind of would jump from one long-term relationship to another long-term relationship. And there was a brief time when I did try spinning plates a little bit. I tried dating two guys at the same time and, um, it just, it was just so awkward in part because at, at that point I, and that was like my early, early twenties. And I was not good at all about being clear about what I wanted <laughs> or what I was thinking or, you know, where anything was headed. And I thought, well, well, just like, why would I need to bring anything up? Obviously this is all just casual and I'll just talk about it if it starts to be more than casual. Um, that was not a good strategy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that kind of fizzled out pretty quickly, but Yeah. So in short, I was not very talented with dating when we started dating other people in addition to having our own relationship going. Um, so that was definitely a big learning gotcha. curve. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's there's that weird sort of gray area. I don't even know if you call it gray area, kind of thinking out loud here. But, you know, where you're you, you want to have open relationships or you want to keep things casual. Let's just say you want to keep things casual. You don't know where it's going. You're dating multiple people at the same time. And everyone's going to respond to that conversation or they're, they're eventually someone's going to ask what, where, what are we and where is this going? Right. And mm -hmm. you can, you can either sort of let your actions speak louder than your words, or you could, you know, try to get ahead of it and have those conversations for me that was always very difficult because I wasn't confident to just come out there and say, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something casual and fun. Um, if that's not for you, cool. Um, you know, but that's just where I'm at in my life. I, I was not confident enough to deliver that. I was a people pleaser, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So what I would typically do was just kind of avoid that conversation for as long as possible around the, you know, one to two month mark. If I was, if I was seeing the girl, you know, I, I feel like I, I could punt that conversation out to around like the one or two month mark if I only saw her once a week. But then I would get other sort of questions like, what am I like your Wednesday girl? Um, <laughs> and then I'm like, well, <laughs> uh, how do I answer that? Right. Um, <laughs> right. There's these like if you, if you show what you're doing versus what you tell versus telling them, then you can avoid that conversation. But what I'm curious in, in that experience you had, because guys can be, you know, you know, I look at guys being jealous versus women being jealous. I think guys are, you know, I, I think it's, how would I say this? I think guys are worse. Um, I think guys are a little bit more possessive and just, it's not really fair to make that assumption based on everyone. But in my experience, guys can be a little bit more possessive and get a little bit more crazy about it. Um, and I feel like a lot of women have the sort of same process of emotions that you kind of went through where you're like, oh, is it? Well, I guess either side, there's that um, the ego comes up, right? And the mm -hmm. ego says, oh, I must not be enough for the partner, right? Yeah. Versus, oh, it's just something they need to do. And it's hard to, to not make it about you. Um, so from when, when first, when that happened with those two guys, is there anything interesting in, in that experience that you could share about how you did tell them or was there any drama there? <laughs> there? I mean, it was like, 
um, it was like the kind of, it was like really quiet drama, I guess I'll explain that. <laughs> so I made the mistake, I think, uh, <laughs> now looking back on this of just like flirting with and, and trying to date two guys that I met in the same location. <laughs> It was this cafe okay. uh, across the street from where I lived. And one of the guys was a guy who worked at the cafe and the other guy was a, just a regular at the cafe. And so the guy who worked at the cafe was actually Ooh, really chill. drama already. I like yeah, it. I know, right? Like <laughs> accidental. Just It's just me not really thinking through that I probably shouldn't like date two people in the same place. But <laughs> um, yeah, the guy who worked there was really chill. Like he was sort of a player in that regard. I imagine that he was seeing other people too and just didn't even think anything of it. But the guy who was the mm -hmm. regular at the cafe, I think maybe he just had... My my hunch is that he had intentions to actually like be a serious boyfriend girlfriend arrangement that he but he never said that that's just me assuming uh, because he had a really strange he just had really strange reactions to me when we were in different places it was like if we met up at the coffee shop he would be really cold and weird and then if we went somewhere else he would relax a little bit but then like sort of remember that maybe I he'd seen me flirt with this other guy and so he would get really cold again it was just kind of this constant like shifting of attitude and we didn't get very far I think we made out like once and then um I was kind of wanting more than just the makeout but he just sort of like pulled away and was like mm, I'm resting now and I was like oh okay I just I'm just gonna go <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, nothing really nothing came of that after that Maybe I'm a really bad kisser. Gotcha. That's, that could be the other lesson from that episode. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you got better if you were bad. <laughs> I mean, I was a terrible kisser. and I, I, <laughs> I think there I, I aren't any universal practice. kissers. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's about finding the right match. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I, I, I noticed that a lot. I'm glad you brought that up because you know what i what i found kind of in general is to be a good kisser you just kind of have to feel in for how the other person kisses and then mirror them um mm -hmm. you know cuz you get a wide variety sometimes you got the really overactive tongue sometimes you've got the you know just a little bit of tongue so i feel like as long as you give them what they're giving you you can you can be halfway decent but <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think at that time I did, I wasn't very responsive. I just kind of bowled in with whatever the kiss was that I wanted. And sometimes I got it back and sometimes right. I just got the guy who then sat back and wanted to rest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, all right, let's dive into what happened next with Jordan. So you guys had this open relate. Well, he brought it up. Um, mm -hmm. and then you didn't like speak to him or th there was like a week of no communication, right? Mm -hmm. Where you yeah, just on my avoided part, it right. because you were kind of processing all those, right. You were processing all that stuff. Um, and then what happened next? Yeah, I, at the end of that week, I had a really great meetup with a close friend of mine who, uh, well in advance of, of me and Jordan opening up our relationship, she had tried to open up her marriage her husband didn't want to. Um, then she'd given him like a long time and sort of like given herself time to to understand like, is this something that I want or not? How important it is to me? And ultimately realized that like, this isn't the guy or this isn't the relationship. And they they got divorced. And then after that, she went on to have a series of open relationships. And 
So this was all about a year before Jordan and I making our own decision. And I got to watch her go through all of that and really model. She really modeled to me like how to do that really as gracefully as you can when there's obviously tons of emotions happening and like dissolution of a major relationship in a life. I just, she handled it in such a self-affirming and respectful also to the other people she was dating and to her ex-husband. I just really admired the way that she navigated through that. And so I met up with her um, for cocktails at the end of that week after I'd been stewing on my own emotions of like, oh my God, I feel so insecure that he's asked to open our relationship, even though I claimed that I wanted that or, or thought that that might be an interesting experiment. And she brought that up again and was just like, yeah, do you remember when I was married and um, and my husband just closed down and just, he wouldn't even talk about any of it. It wasn't even that he had to make the decision I wanted him to make. It was just, we needed it to be a conversation. And it, as soon as that came out of her mouth, I was like, damn it. That's exactly like, I was so mad at him for my friend. I was so mad at him at the time for not just communicating and being open and vulnerable about it. And now here I am not communicating or being open or vulnerable. And um, <laughs> so that really, that really started to kind of help me pull back and realize that I wasn't acting in alignment with like what my own integrity is and how I want to be in this relationship. And and then when I did go back and talk to Logan about it and we started to set some ground rules around like if we were going to do this, what would that look like? That conversation was so not scary because he really held my own – he really held consideration for my own feelings and emotions and my own experience and wants at the forefront of that conversation. And um, I don't know why I thought anything less would happen, but I was just I was just scared of all sorts of things. And when we actually finally got into the conversation, it wasn't scary at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what happened next? <laughs> I know obviously <laughs> people can read the book. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, but, uh, with, yeah, with my, um, permission is always so weird. I don't think of it in terms of permission, but, but he asked the woman he was interested in out on a date and that was while checking in with me, making sure I was okay. And, uh, and I genuinely was, and, um, and he started dating her and then I started dating other people and we had actually this really lovely time period of talking about these other relationships that we were forming and talking about like dating profiles that we were setting up and how should we portray ourselves and um, what is what should we do when we text this person and they don't text back and like it's been four you know like we had all of those really yeah. intimate kinds of conversations that, that you is... would have with your close friends yeah it was great yeah, in in my experience, that was the coolest part for me of once I was you know able to create a a dialogue and have that honest conversation. We're like, all right, let's do this thing. Now we have the space to actually share with each other what's really going on. We don't have to dance around it. We don't have to hide mm -hmm. it. And it's those th it's those emotions that are really juicy and what brought me even closer to the women that I was in these open relationships with. And I found that I was closer to the women in the open relationships than I ever was in the monogamous relationships prior to that, mm. because mm -hmm. I could do the exact same thing. Mm. So I went out with this girl, blah, blah, blah happened. X, Y, Z happened. She would tell me about, you know, different experiences she had. Um, then we'd go have experiences together. 
And the level of connection, you know, I think the stereotype out there is like people who have open relationships are just kind of shady and doing all this stuff behind closed doors. But it's actually quite the opposite to have. I feel like to make one work, you have to be, you know, like very upfront and have a dialogue about things because otherwise you just kind of slowly drift apart because that's Mm -hmm. such an important part of your life at the time. That's like a huge driver of your daily you know, existence, if you don't share it, there, there's nothing there. And from what yeah. I've experienced, so it sounds like you went through this, had the same realization there. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, to some degree, it's not even necessarily about having other relationships. It was like, we were having experiences that didn't involve each other and got to bring the excitement of our own separate lives back to the relationship. And I'm trying to, articulate this like it made us closer because we didn't take for granted as much that we knew each other in these particular ways right like we were both genuinely listening Mm. to each other and like discovering more about how the other person was in in relationship and in engaging with other people and with dating and all of this stuff and it was just there was so much more that um that hadn't come up in like our ordinary life of we lived together. And uh, for a long time, we actually even worked together at the same place and do most of our free time together. So it was like our lives were, were together and there wasn't much to discover about what's going on in our experience because it was, it was constantly connected. Um, And so having actually some distance and having some separate time was really it was just really beautiful it got us to actually reconnect on much deeper levels because we were bringing more of our internal lives forward too i think yeah and the other thing it it does is it really you know it makes you look in the mirror and kind of <laughs> do the work to be your best self mm-hmm. right because if you know that your your partner's out there meeting other people, right? You're like, well, I better stack up against the competition. So there's, you know, you, you remove all of the room for complacency that creeps into a lot of relationships. You know, it's so easy for couples to just kind of get lazy and to take the other person for granted and to really stop making an effort to to show up as their best self because they're like, oh, you know, I'm I've got my partner, I'm good. Like, and whenever you get into that, oh, I'm good, I can just cruise mindset, I feel like that's really when when people take a turn for the worst, right? Because in reality, we should be doing that all the time. But if we do have this sort of comfort zone where we're not pushed to do that, we can kind of kick the can down the road. But then that leads to massive problems, of course, breakups, you know, you name it, right? So that's the other huge benefit I feel like of open relationships is it it forces you to... (laughs) to really show up all the time. Yeah. I think maybe there's even a little bit of additional nuance, which is like, if I'm dating other people and showing up, you know, with my hair done and like making, wearing underwear that hasn't been washed a million times, you know, like, like showing up (laughs) looking really nice, then, um, then I remember the kind of effort that I used to put in to that when I was, you know, when Jordan and I were first dating. And so I, I want to do that. And, um, and it was also like, I cherished the times when I didn't have to primp at all and could just show up as like my casual, like we just woke up on Saturday and we're just chilling and we don't have to impress each other 
like that right. became sweeter and I appreciated that more too. So it was, it was sort of a both and situation. Yeah. Yeah. You get the best of both worlds <laughs> um, <laughs> in that situation. Did um, I wanted to ask, um, so when you first started having these conversations about your, you know, other activities, other, other partners and, and some, you know, all those conversations, was there any like, consistent structured way you had those uh, I asked because I interviewed another uh, woman on the podcast who was in an open marriage and she said I only discuss these things right after sex like pillow talk because that's when we're both <laughs> feeling <laughs> and I'm like oh that's that's really smart she's like yeah I bring up anything that I'm worried to talk about right after sex you know while we're still lying in bed with that glow and I'm like that's that's good so <laughs> yeah. well, how did you guys do it or was it just happens to answer. Oh gosh. I guess, yeah, we weren't that, um, or I at least wasn't that pre-planned about it. Um, but I do remember worrying about like, when's the right time to talk about things that are difficult? Because one thing that happens when you're managing multiple relationships in your life is that you don't spend as much time with each person as you would if you were only dating one person. And so it was like, if I have just the morning with you, but then I'm going to spend the afternoon or evening with, you know, my other date, like, do I talk about the difficult thing in the morning before we're going to like go to work and have our, you know, like that's a terrible setup. And so right. there was a lot more self-consciousness about what's the right time to do those things. I don't think we ever really landed on like a perfect and consistent time. I actually know uh, polyamorous groups, relationship groups where they have like um, a sort of family meeting that happens on a day of the week and everybody like talks to everybody about what came up that week or, um, you know, they have this like cadence of when the check-ins happen. And that that kind of structure always was a little... I'm sad to say it was a little too much to me because I think it's a really, really great idea, but it made my, when we did that, when we were in a triad, it made my life feel a little bit more like regimented and a little bit more planned than I wanted it to. <laughs> uh, it just, it wasn't a style mm. that, that really felt natural to me. I preferred to have those things come up when the moment felt right, but um, it is good to schedule a moment when it's hard to find the right moments. So I think both make sense. Yeah, it's always a balancing act. And um, the, the the girl I shared, shared about, um, I don't think her husband knew that she was doing that. I don't know if he was aware of it, but she knew that that was <laughs> just the oh, right yeah, time right. to always go about it. <laughs> yeah. um, right. So <laughs> he probably thought it was his way of talking about it or something, but uh, who knows. Um, so t share a little bit about your triad. Um, how, what was that experience like? Um you know, people yeah. are always curious how that goes. Was it with, a, a, you know, two women and a man or two men and women mm -hmm. and a woman? Yeah. Um, and I've been in, so I, I guess I'll, I'll back up a little bit. You know, in the early days when mm -hmm. we opened our relationship, we were more casually dating people. We didn't have like long-term relationships with other people than just Jordan and me. Um, and then eventually I started recognizing that I was queer and really wanted to form longer and deeper relationships with women. And so my first relationship was 
what's sometimes called a hinge where like I was partnered with both of these people, but they, they weren't partnered with each other. Uh, and then the second mm. relationship was a triad with me, another woman and Jordan, and we were all sort of like equally connected to each other. And of those two styles, um, you know, it's always difficult to untangle this, the style and structure of the relationship that's happening from the people that you're sharing your life with. <laughs> like, like it always gets really messy, I think, because what I ultimately right. discovered was that the style of me being one person having two long-term partnerships that don't then connect to each other and like those are just sort of separate things. Um, it really had my life feeling quite divided up. Like I, I just felt like I was constantly having to schedule my time with like, who am I going to spend? And am I giving the right proportions of my time to people in the way that I want to? And, um, and at, like some spending nights at different places that like, where is home kind of became a question. I got kind of spun mm. out about that. And so I found that that kind of relationship style is, is actually kind of unsettling to me, even though I really loved the person that I was in relationship with, but it, it didn't ultimately work out just because that structure was, um, an ill fit. I think the mm. triad structure was a really lovely fit for me. I think Jordan has it sometimes said the same thing where it's like that feels much more like a family where we can all be in the same place. We're all sharing a lot of the same experiences, but then, you know, we're branching off and having individual, you know, individual dates or individual days where it's just two or not all three of us. And, and so the variety of that is really fun. And also the connectedness of like everybody being able to come together um, felt really good to me. Ultimately, the person that we were with wasn't the right fit, but I think that that structure was a nice one. So, sorry, I'm confused. What, what was the first structure versus the second one? The second was a try and the first one was what? The first one was me having uh, two long-term relationships, Jordan and in the in the book, she's called Christine. Um, mm -hmm. And so Jordan and Christine weren't together, but I was separately with each of them. So it was like basically gotcha, two, gotcha. two big relationships happening at the same time. That was a little, little too much for me to juggle. Right. So they obviously knew about each other, but they weren't in relationship. Yeah. 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 And they were gotcha. friendly, you know, it's yeah, but mm -hmm. generally didn't, we didn't like spend a bunch of, we didn't spend time together. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a. A weird experience um, at Burning Man where I went with a girlfriend and we left with another girlfriend. Uh, and then we were in that sort of triad relationship for a few weeks um, until the whole thing <laughs> blew up uh, at one of at my original girlfriend's birthday party that we hosted. Um, and then I ended up going to Burning Man with the second girl the following year. We kind of stayed in a relationship. Um, and then that relationship blew up at Burning Man <laughs> following year. Oh, man. So it was yeah. a, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was a very interesting period of, of growth for me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was, there was too much partying involved. That was kind of the issue because I found that the to have successful relationships in general, communication everyone says communication is key of course right um but especially true for open relationships or any sort of um you know other form of relationship 
Uh, and what happened in both cir- both circumstances were, you know, one of the parties just decided to stop communicating altogether um, mm. and just kind of went off and did whatever they were doing. Um, and that obviously led to a lot of issues. So was it difficult for you during the process to always sort of go back to, I guess a better question is, were there any times where it, it was like most difficult or most hard and why was that the case? Oh, um, mostly self-created on my end. I really sucked at having the hardest vulnerable conversations that really needed to be had. And so two, <laughs> there's two, there are two chapters in my book, both of which I named the worst lie I've ever told part one and the worst lie I've ever told part two, <laughs> which were just various times when I really struggled with a truth about what I had done or what I wanted to do and ended up lying by omission, like ended up just not, not talking to a partner about it. And in the first case, it was um, Mm -hmm. early on after we opened our relationship, I was the first person to have sex with someone else. And I had told Jordan that I was going to go on a date with this person. And I told him that I thought we might fool around was what I, that was the phrase I said. But of course, fooling around means a lot of different things, some of which are sex and some of which are not sex. And so um, that really vague phrasing just set me up for for hiding, basically. And um, and then later when I came back and he asked if we'd slept together, I first said no because I was just scared, I guess, and in denial and not being honest with myself. And um, and then that only that no hung in the air for like ten seconds, and I was like, I why did I just do that? And I'm freaking out inside. And then told him like thirty seconds later. I did, and I'm really sorry that I said no first. And um, and so that was just sort of this, that moment was important partly because I lied, but also because I realized like, oh, it's within my capacity to lie. Apparently, I'm someone who has a hard time telling the truth when the truth might be hard to accept. And we had to really dig into that and recognize like, that's a big thing that's not okay uh, and that it's also not necessarily going to fix overnight because it's so rooted in fear. Right. And so I have to like keep an eye on the fact that I'm someone who struggles to be honest. Um, and the second time that it happened was with my partner, Christine, I'd started dating the woman that Jordan and I eventually created a triad with. I started dating that woman simultaneously while I was with Christine and Christine and I had an open relationship, but I didn't talk about this new interest or this new person that I was dating. And, um, and she was really hurt when I finally surfaced that like a month or a couple months into us having seen each other. Um, and yeah, just in both of those cases, I recognized that that was me being totally, it's the people pleasing thing again. I recognized that that was me being totally afraid of a partner being angry or upset or having a hard time with something that was true in my experience. Um, and then I, I just hid it and avoided it until the last possible second, basically. Um, so those were the hardest parts. And I think I beat myself up for the longest time over those things. And I think those things are ultimately why I decided to write this book was like, I was really trying to understand 
how to be more internally honest with myself, how to know myself better and how to be more courageous talking mm -hmm. about things like that with my partner um, or partners. And um, yeah, ultimately that journey was really rewarding, but I think I've known so many other people who've made similar mistakes and um, it's, it's just kind of part of the learning curve of like, <laughs> of doing varsity level relationship arrangements, you know? Um, and it's, it's a right. sad part of that. Cause it, I think it destroys a lot of relationships and just, just kind of the way it goes while we're learning sometimes. Yeah, those are, I've had many moments <laughs> that I can relate to, um, where I did the exact same thing. You know, you, you don't want to have that tough conversation or you're not prepared for it. So you blurt out a lie and then you've got to clean that up later, but then you've already mm -hmm. lied. Um, you know, so, and you know, you're, you're trying to manage your own emotions. You're trying to protect other people's emotions. And that's, I think that the trouble is when you do have that people pleaser, I call it <laughs> for, for men that the term inauthentic nice guy comes up a lot. Uh, the work oh, I do. God, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's this, you know, you're, you're, it's actually a control strategy. It's manipulation because you're mm -hmm. trying to control their emotions because you're afraid of negative emotions and you're going to lie to avoid that situation. And you think you're doing something nice when, you know, really you're just kind of being a jerk. Uh, because if you are honest and you are just blunt, at least the other person knows you know, what, what up and down is, and then they can make decisions for them for, in their own best interest. But when, when you lie or you dance around the truth or you omit or you do these things to, to sway the person because you're worried about that tension that you're going to create, you just end up in these horrible situations, you know, inevitably. That's, mm -hmm. that's the, <laughs> it's the same journey. So for, for the guys that I coach, it's always a process of, you know, stripping away the onions of the inauthentic nice guy that people pleaser yeah. guy um to get to you know to get to a place where you can just be like listen this is you know this is what happened um you know and deal with <laughs> deal with those consequences but you know sometimes the consequences suck but at least you grow from that right there's growth mm -hmm. in the truth and when there there's not in any form of lying and um i wanted to ask you so the journey for you was obviously about self-love, uh, loving yourself and going through this process, you know, obviously got you, I think, more in touch with who you were and who you are. For me, a lot of the journey through, you know, just my open relationships, all, all my sexual experiences, a lot of it for me was validation driven. I was the kind of, you know, geeky, dorky kid in middle school who got rejected and it was this path of proving to myself that I was actually cool and attractive and and someone who, you know, women did find interesting and intriguing. And and until I could come to that realization, until I got that outside acceptance, then I could love myself sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really what I needed to do because uh, I, I tried a lot of other things like, oh, you know, positive affirmations and and a lot of meditation, but none of that got me there. <laughs> what what actually mm -hmm. got me there was yeah. the, the result got me there. And then really being able to have that honest conversation. No, I can look in the mirror. I am attractive. And I know because I have this validation, this proof, um, you know, looking back, I realized it was all about validation in the moment. It was all about, you know, 
kind of getting my rocks off or at least just doing these things, these things that seemed really interesting. Now, obviously, after doing them, they lose their luster quite a bit. But um, yeah, please share if any of that resonated or what, what was your oh. sort of experience with that whole process? Yeah, all of the above. I think I think a large part of what drove me in dating, because I ended up, <laughs> I think I dated more people in the time period that we had in an open relationship, which lasted about five years. I dated more people in that five years while with Jordan, my long-term partner, than I had dated before Jordan and I got together, <laughs> like by a long shot. Right. <laughs> um, and it, it was, it felt very much like a, um, like a second teenage maturation process or something. Like mm-hmm. I really felt like a teenager going and staying out after curfew and like going to parties. <laughs> I would wake up sometimes with guilt that I had like gone out dancing and flirted with a bunch of people. <laughs> it was like, I'd wake up feeling like that was a bad thing to do. And I was a horrible person. I mean, I think what I'm getting at is that I, I was clearly unwinding a lot of programming, um, for mm-hmm. myself. I think it was about validation, but it was also about letting go of like what it meant to me to be a good girl. Um, I think that some of those parameters had gotten wedged really deeply and, like what do good girls look like in relationship? They date one person, they marry them, you know, they like <laughs> all of this stuff that I didn't want to do. But the the um sort of drive to to try to be good and to try to be a good partner in like sort of the heteronormative monogamous uh storyline that we're all fed, like that, that still sat deeply in me. And so some of the experiences that I had were really like directly subverting that, um, I think to try to kind of unwind that so that I didn't feel driven by that cultural narrative or cultural norm anymore. And I feel now much more like Mm -hmm. Jordan and I are back to a monogamous relationship now, but I feel much more, um, like I know that if I ever want to date someone else again, we'll just have that conversation. Like I feel so much more capable of monitoring, like what is it that I really want? Does this relationship and does my life reflect that? What changes do I make want to make if I do want to change? And um, and those are things that I was not able and willing to talk about before all of these experiences and before making a bunch of mistakes. Um, I think there was something about failing a lot and having a lot of people disappointed and upset with me that helped me really get a sense of like, it is, it is okay. Sometimes people get upset in relationship and when it's worth it to mend that, we can mend that. And when we realize that that's a rift that we don't want to live with, we can end it too. Um, yeah, I'm so much more aware in relationship now than I was before. I think before I was kind of just going with whoever was attracted and whoever was there, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It sounds like now there, there's a sense of freedom in that, that knowing that, you know, if things, if you do want things to change, you can just have the conversation and it's not Mm going to break the relationship. Right. And that is something that you could pursue if you wanted to. Um, And a lot of the time it's just kind of knowing that we can, which is enough, you know, to, to be like, okay, I, I just, I just want to know that I can. And then <laughs> I'm kind of good mm-hmm. there. Um, that was a huge driver for me. I remember 
in past relationships where I was in a monogamous situation, I didn't want to be, you know, you start resenting your partner and making it about them. I'd find myself like hyper focusing on things that like I didn't find attractive about them, which I did find attractive about them when we met. And it had nothing to do with them or even like it was my brain was just playing a trick on me, like focusing on, you know, this part of her body that I was really attracted to in the beginning that I wasn't later. I'm like, it has nothing to do with that. That's just me being unhappy in the situation, not mm-hmm. feeling like I could have the the conversation and be honest with myself and with her. Um, and it's weird how it it sort of manifested in those other in those other thoughts, with, which were totally wacky. Um, yeah. Yeah. So for you, um, you know, thinking back to your first crush on a woman, um, what do you think stopped you from pursuing that? What, what was it that heteronormative sort of, this is what a good girl should do. Good girls shouldn't be attracted to other girls. Like what, what stopped you from, from going there? I think that was part of it. Um, I think the other part was just total, naivete in general about like how to be in relationships with women (laughs) and and how to flirt with women and how to like be more assertive when you do want to be in a relationship with women um that was all stuff that I had never considered before and um I think I write about this a little bit in the book, like so many female relationships that I have, but I think uh, I've talked to other people who explain, who have this same phenomenon, like our female relationships with friends are really flirty and really like high touch. And like, <laughs> there, it's it's really hard to differentiate between, especially a new friendship. Are you like cuddling me and hugging me and stroking my hair because we're friends or are you doing those things because like we might, we could be partners <laughs> and, and trying to figure out like safe right. ways to navigate that when, especially when I was cool with either outcome, um, but too shy to have the conversation that's like, Hey, I would love to, you know, like go on a date, but also if you don't want to, that's cool. Like I, I wasn't able to say those kinds of things in the beginning. It's like, I wanted to know what track was in front of me before I was ready to leap. Um, and so, right. Yeah. So that made me really, really shy in the beginning. And I kind of only really had success dating women when I started getting on dating apps and make it like the the explicit purpose of meeting you is to date you. That was a lot easier. But I also had some really Hmm. beautiful um, friendships that turned into like sexual relationships for a time. And then we, we, we went back to friendship and, and a lot of those people that I sort of experimented with, uh, in that way were still friends. So it was like a, it was like a mix of all of the above and mostly just a lot of really awkward conversations. (laughs) (laughs) Where would you put yourself kind of on the masculine feminine polarity scale? Um, and how did that sort of affect the partners that you chose? Like, cause obviously if you're, if you're dating both men and women, right, typically men are going to be more masculine, women, more feminine, Um, but I find that in, you know, any relationships, gay or straight there, one partner is usually more of one polarity and and it's in that polarity where you get a lot of attraction, um, at least from the stuff I've studied, David data, that sort of work. Um, so I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I would call myself 
uh, pretty solidly on the feminine scale now. Like if it goes from zero to 10, I'm probably like a nine. <laughs> um, but, but before mm -hmm. dating women, I actually would have rated myself lower or like not even really been aware of where I am on that polarity. And there was a certain degree to which some of the relationships that I mm. chose, one woman that I dated was very much on the more kind of masculine, um, end of that spectrum and showed up as like very assertive, very confident, would just say exactly what she wanted. And I was really drawn to that because those, it was like basically a kind of a skill set that I was missing. <laughs> and so I wanted to, to be a compliment right. to that. And I also wanted to learn like how to, how to have the confidence and assertiveness that she had. But another person that I dated was like really far on the feminine side. And my attraction to her was that she was expressing the kind of femininity that I wanted to be able to draw out of myself, but felt more closeted about, or like felt like that's too girly. We can't go all the way there. But then she was all the way over there and like rocking it. And so, um, so my attraction really went both ways, uh, on, on that scale. And it was in part because I was learning, like, what do I want to compliment and what do I want to emulate? And I was choosing partners that helped me do both. Yeah, it sounds like, and it made me think when, as you were speaking about that, that that's probably what we, we all do in relationships. We choose people we want to be like, or we choose characteristics that we're looking to develop in ourselves. And we seek out people kind of unconsciously to do that. I mean, I certainly did both with business partners and with, you know, um, you know, relationships uh, where I would, you know, I wanted to become more assertive. I wanted to become a little bit more you know, dominant the ability to be, be honest. And I found a business partner who was unabashedly that almost to a fault, <laughs> you know, too brutally honest, too sort of aggressive. You know, he, he was the type of guy that would, you know, walk into a room and like just a, a bomb would, would go off typically with honesty, but then, you know, those can <laughs> situations, the intensity could lead to problems as well. Uh, so I found that the more I was sort of able to embody those characteristics, the less I was attracted to other people who are kind of way more on the on the spectrum um, or the other end of the spectrum where I didn't need quite that much uh, aggression, you could say. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's it. The, so on your journey, um, it was aside from Jordan, it was mostly women. Is that right? It was, it was mostly women. There were a couple of men at the beginning that I dated. Um, and we actually had a, we had kind of a, a pivot point in, in our open relationship journey where, um, the man that I had dated that I slept with, I said earlier, I was the first person to sleep with someone, um, there were later interactions with him, some of which that I describe in the book that, made it clear he wasn't the kind of person that I wanted to continue inviting into my life or into our lives or um, connected to our relationship. And it really um, caused me to feel really nervous about like my ability to judge character. In in brief, we, we went for this mm. day at a pool. We were swimming and he, it was all three of us and he, um, choked me like a wrestling hold and held me underwater. And I was like trying to tell him that I couldn't breathe and I was freaking out and I was like slapping him underwater and he just didn't respond to that and didn't let go and was not 
not considerate um, of those needs. And it really freaked me out that like, one, somebody can physically overpower me in that way. And this is a person that I've chose to let like be physical with me in intimate ways. Like that dichotomy really scared me. Um, But then also knowing that like, it's not just me. It's not just me choosing one relationship. It's, It's me bringing someone into like a bigger dynamic with my own partner and So that really, um, that took us a while, Jordan and me, it took us a while to kind of heal from and grow from. And in the aftermath of that, I really wasn't interested in dating other men. And Jordan at one point said that he wasn't really comfortable with me dating other men. I think part of that was related to what had happened. And part of it was also just related to like, he, for whatever reason, just didn't have jealousy with me dating women that he naturally had when I dated men. Um, there's actually kind of a funny conversation in the book where I, I attacked him a little bit for like, (laughs) you're not, you're not treating men and women as equal. What's like, why aren't you jealous with both? Of course, like, it's not like I wanted him to be jealous. I didn't want him to feel that. Um, but, uh, it just highlighted, I think to both of us that like, you can't control what feelings come up. They just come up for all sorts of reasons. And, um, and it just so happened that my desire to then be with women after that point aligned with like his lack of jealousy with me choosing those kinds of partners. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, I had the same sort of realization with my open relationships. I was always fine with the women I was dating, dating other women. Um, And in the beginning, I was sort of okay when they were dating other men, but then it kind of became an issue. (laughs) And even though Mm -hmm. I had done a lot of work around jealousy, um, it's still like, it just, I think there's just, I don't know, maybe that territorial aspect of of men or masculinity um, that would drive me crazy. I was fine with it if I was there. Like I'd go to sex parties and I'd watch my girlfriend, you know, have sex with another guy that I knew. And the more I liked the guy, the the better it was. Like we all just had these cool sort of intertwined relationships. Um, but it was when I didn't know the guy that it became this this bigger issue. Um, and and a lot of the some some of the close friends that I developed came out like my closest guy friends came out of like sharing women together. Um, like one guy in particular, I was, I was dating this girl and I knew she was dating this other guy and it was making me a little bit, you know, territorial, a little bit, you know, upset about it. But then we actually all went out to, uh, to a bar and partied together and I got to know him. I'm like, wow, this guy's really cool. He's actually just like me. So I'm not really surprised that she, (laughs) that she picked him. Um, you know, and we're still friends to this day long after I, you know, we broke up, um, (laughs) (laughs) and yeah I mean I guess I do you think that's just kind of the way it is for most for most men um (laughs) I don't know because I have really good guy friends who have like I I have a friend who is married to a woman who's married to another guy and they have like a like a family the two guys don't sleep together but they both sleep with the the woman and um and that works great for them because mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. friend is like the least jealous guy that I've ever seen like it just doesn't even occur to him to feel jealous or threatened by his wife 
sleeping with other men or women. Like it doesn't, it's just not wired into him. And I think that for a lot of us, our emotions Mm -hmm. get wired in all sorts of ways. Some of which come from like what norms we had in our families as kids or, you know, all sorts of, or what formative relationships we had in our teens. And the more that I try to predict how I'm going to feel about a particular like relationship arrangement, it's like, the more I'm going to be surprised (laughs) if I think I'm, if I assume I'm going to feel one way, like guaranteed, I'm going to be surprised by the way that I actually feel. So I don't think that I can ever, I just have to see what, what my body responds to rather than try to dictate it in advance. That's a very good realization to have (laughs) versus what, what most people do. I know I'm going to feel, I'm not going to do this. I'm a hard no to whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Did you notice significant changes in Jordan and what were those changes throughout the period? Mm. I'm sure there were lots of internal changes that I wouldn't feel confident speaking to because that's his own internal experience and truth. Um, I, Mm -hmm. I think the changes that happened with him are kind of the same changes that happened with me. We just both got, so much better at speaking, you know, we had been so good at speaking in theory about what relationships could be like back when we were listening to podcasts. And it was like, now that we had some lived experience with it, we realized where are our miscommunications happening when it's actually happening in our real lives. And we've gotten so much better at connecting and talking and owning our emotions around all sorts of stuff. And we've both gotten so much better at not viewing either of us feeling negative emotions as being like a thing that might potentially tank our relationship. Like I certainly had lived in fear of like, I never want to make my partner angry or upset. Um, I think to a degree he probably felt the same way about me. And so we, I think we are just a lot more open with each other about our internal emotional lives than we were beforehand because it's not nearly as scary we've talked about so much now. (laughs) We've gotten so much practice. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. If you've gotten through that stuff, what can't you kind of get through, right? What's your advice to someone who's still trying to identify their sexual orientation? Oh, yeah. Um, That is, that's hard for me to give because I'm not sure, like I certainly didn't go through that process in the most easy way. (laughs) I just sort of flung myself into flirting with people of all genders and flung myself into partying and, um, and things that helped me feel more wild so that I could get in touch with the part of me that's less, um, uh, like the part of me that's willing to experiment, I guess. I, there are parts of that that were really beautiful and amazing and I would highly recommend. And there are parts of that where like I made big messes and had to learn to clean them up. So it wasn't, it wasn't like the foolproof way to explore a sexual identity, I think. But if I think about the practices that supported me best in that time, I, I spent a lot of time, particularly after I'd made that mess in some of my relationships, I spent a lot of time meditating a lot of time, um, like doing yoga, but really just moving in ways that my body wanted to. And a lot of time connecting to my body and trying to get out of my head 
trying to think through all these problems and solve it all. Like you're not going to solve your sexual identity by thinking about it. I'm pretty convinced. <laughs> I think you have to like let yourself feel inside of yourself. Um, and so the more time and opportunity that you give to really connect with what's going on inside of you and, and the emotions that are happening and not just the thoughts for me, that was, that was what was most helpful. Yeah, that's a really powerful realization is you're not going to solve your problems in your head. <laughs> yeah. you know, you're going to solve them out in, in real life following, you know, following what your heart's telling you to do or your gut or whatever it is and doing it and then communicating about it, being honest and not trying to, you know, control everyone's feelings and be that people pleaser, yeah. right? And, so that was, you know, I appreciate what you said. That was really powerful. Yeah. I think a big uh, piece of that is forgiving yourself when you ultimately screw up and try to control everyone <laughs> and try to control, you know, um, right. <laughs> that was, that was the hardest lesson for me was like being okay with making mistakes that hurt other people. It's just the way some of it goes and learning how to repair after that, I think is really important. Yeah, it's uh, we have to control the border collie inside of us to <laughs> <laughs> to hurt everyone and control. <laughs> it's funny that you know the dogs people pick probably have a lot to do with the uh, the same reason people pick partners, which we described earlier. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to share that was sort of pivotal to your journey, or anything about like? becoming a writer. I know, um, you know, a big part of this for you was actually having the courage to write about yeah. it and to talk about it, um, which is, that's not easy, especially, you know, I feel like it, for, I feel, you know, it's, it's tough for me as a man, but I feel like it's, it's even, there's even more stigma talking about sexual stuff as a, as a woman and being open and honest about that, like out in the public sector. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because that is... Oh, yeah. I'm not sure what my question was. Well, but... <laughs> I think you're right. I think there is a lot of stigma talking about it. And yet, the more that I share this book, the more that I talk about it, the more acceptance I receive, actually, instead of rejection. I've been really, um, I've been really impressed <laughs> with culture and society that like I've been able to to tell these stories in a bigger and bigger public sphere. And I've yet to get that stigma like thrown in my face. I've yet to get people rejecting me for talking about these experiences. And in fact, a lot of people have said that it's helpful. So that's been really amazing to see that like the stigma that I assumed existed is not actually playing out in my real life, but it's taking a lot of courage to be willing to be vulnerable and, and trust that what I say will be received in the right way. Um, but yeah, the journey to writing this was really like an extension of the journey to being more honest, both within myself and honest with my partners. I started writing as a way to help me explore how to be more honest with myself, how to know myself better. And the writing actually, I started writing this book while I was still in some of those relationships and the writing then helped me have better conversations with people because I was taking lots and lots of time to sit by myself and get my thoughts in a linear order and then, and then develop the courage to talk about stuff right. that was hard. Um, 
And so to some degree, the book is just kind of a way to keep keep doing that work and keep doing that development of, of just trying to be more and more honest as I, as I grow up, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that. Cause I was in a relationship prior to my marriage where it just didn't feel right. Um, the whole thing started, it was an open relationship. She didn't want it to be open, but she went into it very much like, let's be open and have fun. You know, actually, we met on like a in a party environment where people were hooking up and it was a very like sexual uh, environment. And then the the whole time she was pushing the re- relationship forward. Um, I was OK with that because I was still doing my own thing. But that was kind of her agenda the whole time was to eventually like turn it monogamous. Mm. And I just remember feeling like I tried to break up with her multiple times. It didn't work. Uh <laughs> And I just remember feeling like I I didn't know what to do, but I started journaling every day. Um, so I journal every morning and, you know, I'd wake up, I'd have all these thoughts and, and a lot of them were, were negative, angry thoughts. And so I'd, you know, slam my keyboard, just this kind of, um, you know, what do they call that brain dump mm-hmm. or, or uh, just where you just write what exactly what's coming out, like unfiltered writing. And that would really allow me to process what I was feeling. And then make good choices about what to do. Um, went to see a, a therapist a few times to see it straighten some of those out. And looking back, that could probably be an interesting book. Uh, yeah. But it sounds like a lot of the same process you went through, mm-hmm. minus the, you know, <laughs> your relationship was a probably was obviously, you know, a better, a better fit. Um, but that allowed me to then eventually leave that relationship and find something that was a much better fit. So, and I tell that to my clients all the time. I say, if, if you're in a, a shitty situation and it's very hard to wrap your your mind around all those emotions that we're feeling, and we end up a lot of the time just making these knee-jerk decisions or reactions that aren't the, really the, you know, those are mistakes. And I feel like you can avoid a lot of those mistakes by just getting your thoughts onto paper or onto a note, like in your phone or whatever. Um and those t- tended out to be, you know, bookworthy yeah. in, in your circumstance. So. Yeah. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, um, I, ju- I, kept, <laughs> I kept writing the book and I decided to publish it because I just kept thinking back to the part of my own journey when I was the most lost and the most afraid. And I was reading so many books. I read like all of the recommended reading for joining into polyamory. And I read like everything Esther Perel has ever written. And I read every like divorce memoir I could get my hands on, like all, all these memoirs and stories about relationships. And I still couldn't find one that helped me out with the chaos that I'd created in my life. Like I, I couldn't find one that looked like what my life looked like. And I got helpful bits from all of those, but I just thought, Maybe somebody out there <laughs> is going through something, you know, chaotic and crazy and trying to figure out their own sense of responsibility and integrity in their mess. And and I hope that this story can help them in the way that other people's stories helped me. Yeah, well, it, it was great to read. Uh, I recommend everyone who's listening to this podcast, you know, grab a copy. Um, where can people find out more about you? Where can people pick up your book? Um, you know, obviously the normal places. But yeah, if people listen to this and, and they want to connect with you more, uh, is there a way for them to do that? Yeah. I have my website, emilygindelsparger.com has all the details. 
Uh, you probably won't remember how to spell my last name, but that's okay. Misspellings will get you there too. I discovered <laughs> I've done tests. Um, and oh, really? yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you have a really weird last name, you got to make sure people can still find you. I'll have it in the show notes. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. And the book's available on Amazon. Awesome. Emily has been so great to have this conversation and thanks for you know being so honest and vulnerable about your experience and and i know and anyone who you know picks up the copy of the book is gonna learn a lot about themselves so oh, it's been great talking thank you yeah this was so much fun <laughs>